Section 16 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Marty Chris. The Camp Meeting by Baynard Rust Hall. The camp was furnished with several stands for preaching, exhorting, jumping, and jerking, but still one place was the pulpit above all others. This was a large scaffold secured between two noble sugar-trees, and railed in to prevent from falling over in a swoon, or springing over in an ecstasy. Its cover the dense foliage of the trees, whose trunks formed the graceful and massive columns. Here was said to also be the altar but I could not see its horns or any sacrifice, and the pen, which I did see, a place full of clean straw where were put into fold stray sheep willing to return. It was at this pulpit with its altar and pen the regular preaching was done. Around here the congregation assembled. Hence orders were issued, here happened the hardest fights and were gained the greatest victories, being the spot where it was understood Satan fought in person. And here could be seen gestures the most frantic, and heard noises the most unimaginable, and often the most appalling. It was the place, in short, where most crowded either with praiseworthy intentions of getting some religion, or with unholy purposes of being amused. We, of course, designing neither one nor the other, but only to see philosophically and make up an opinion. At every grand outcry a simultaneous rush would, however, take place from all parts of the camp, proper and improper, towards the pulpit, altar, and pen, till the crowding by increasing the suffocation and the fainting would increase the tumult and the uproar but this, in the estimation of many devotees, only rendered the meeting more lively and interesting. By considering what was done at this central station, one may approximate the amount of spiritual labor done in a day, and then a week, in the whole camp. Number 1. About daybreak on Sabbath a horn blasted us up for public prayer and exhortation, the exercises continuing nearly two hours. 2. Before breakfast, another blast for family and private prayer, and then every tent became, in camp language, a Bethel of struggling Jacobs and prevailing Israels, every tree an altar, and every grove a secret closet, till the air all became religious words and phrases, and vocal with amens. 3. After a proper interval came a horn for the forenoon service. Then was delivered the sermon, and that followed by an appendix of some half-dozen exhortations let off right and left, and even behind the pulpit, that all might have a portion in due season. 4. We had private and secret prayer again before dinner, some clamoring into thick trees to be hid, but forgetting in their simplicity that they were heard and betrayed. But religious devotion excuses all errors and mistakes. 5. The afternoon sermon with its bobtail string of exhortations. 6. Private and family prayer about tea-time. 7. But lastly, we had what was termed a precious season in the third regular service at the Principia of the camp. The season began not long after tea and was kept up long after I left the ground, which was about midnight. And now sermon after sermon and exhortation after exhortation followed like shallow foaming, roaring waters till the speakers were exhausted and the assembly became an uneasy and billowy mass now hushing to a sobbing quiescence and now rousing by the groans of sinners and the triumphant cries of folks that had just got religion and then again subsiding to a buzzy state occasioned by the whimpering and whining voices of persons giving spiritual advice and comfort how like a volcanic crater after the evomission of its lava in a fit of burning colic and striving to resettle its angry and tumultuating stomach.
It is time, however, to speak of the three grand services and their concomitants, and to introduce several master spirits of the camp. Our first character is the Reverend Elder Sprightly. This gentleman was of good natural parts, and in a better school of intellectual discipline and more fortunate circumstances he must have become a worthy minister of some more tasteful literary and evangelical sect. As it was, he had only become what he never got beyond, a very smart man, and his aim had become one to enlarge his own people, and in this work so great was his success that to use his own modest boastfulness in his sermon today, although folks said when he came to the purchase that a single corn crib would hold his people yet, bless the Lord, they had kept spreading and spreading till all the corn cribs in Egypt weren't big enough to hold them. He was very happy at repartee, as Robert Dale Owen well knows, and not slow, inexpert in the arts of taking off and giving them their own. This trait we shall illustrate by an instance. Mr. Sprightly was, by accident, once present where a Campbellite Baptist that had recently taken out a right for administering six doses of lobelia, red pepper, and steam to men's bodies, and a plunge into cold water for the good of their souls, was holding forth against all doctors, secular and sacred, and very fiercely against Sprightly's brotherhood. Dr. Lobelia's text was found somewhere in Pope Campbell's New Testament, as it suited the following discourse introduced with the usual inspired preface. Dr. Lobelia's Sermon Well, I never rubbed my back again a college, nor get no sheepskin and allow the apostles didn't either. Didn't anybody ever hear of Peter and Paul going to them newfangled places and getting skins to preach by? No, sirs, I allow not. No, sirs, we don't pretend to log it. This here's New Testament sheepskin enough for me. And don't Presbyterians and t'other baby sprinklers have recourse to logic and skins to show how them's what's immersed didn't go down into the water and come up again? And as to Spratly's preachers, don't they dress like big bugs and go riding about the purchase on hundred-dollar horses and a spring on poor priest-ridden folks and a eatin' fried chicken fixin' so powerful fast that chickens has got scarce in these diggin's. And then what ain't fried makes tracks and hides when they sees them a-comin'. But, dear brethren, we don't want store-cloth and yaller buttons and fat hosses and chicken fixins and the like doings. No, sirs! We only want your souls. We only wants believers' baptism. We wants prim, prim, yes, apostles' Christianity, the Christianity of Christ, and them times when Christians was Christians, and took up thar cross and went down into the water, and was buried in the genuine sort of baptisms by immersion. That's all we wants. And I hope all's convinced that's the true way, and so let all come right out from among them and get believers' baptism. And so now, if any brother wants to say a word, I'm done, and I'll make way for him to preach. Anticipating this common invitation, our friend Sprightly, indignant at this unprovoked attack of Dr. Lobelia, had, in order to disguise himself, exchanged his clerical garb for a friend's blue coté bedizened with metal buttons, and also had erected a very tasteful and sharp coxcomb on his head, out of hair usually reposing sleek and quiet in the most saint-like decorum. And then, at the bid from the pulpit stump, out stepped Mr. Sprightly from the opposite Spicewood Grove, and advanced with a step so smirky and dandyish as to create universal amazement, and whispered demands, Why, who's that? 
and some of his very people who were present as they told me did not know their preacher till his clear sharp voice came upon the hearing when they showed by the sudden lifting of hands and eyebrows how near they were to exclaiming well i never stepping on to the consecrated stump our friend without either preliminary hymn or prayer commenced thus my friends i only intend to say a few words in answer to the pious brother that's just sat down and shall not detain but a few minutes the pious brother took a good deal of time to tell what we soon found out ourselves that he never went to college and don't understand logic he boasts too of having no sheepskin to preach by but i allow any sensible buck sheep would have died powerful sorry if he'd ever thought his hide would come to be handled by some preachers the skin of the knowingest old buck couldn't do some folks any good some things salt won't save i'd rather allow johnny calvin's boys and t'other baby sprinklers ain't likely to have the ideas physicked out of them by steam logic and doses of number six they can't be steamed up so high as to want coolin' by a cold-water plunge, but I want to say a word about Sprightly's preachers, because I have some slight acquaintance with that there gentleman, and don't choose to have them all run down for nothing. The pious brother brings several grave charges. First, they ride good horses. Now, don't every man, woman, and child in the purchase know that Sprightly and his preachers have hardly any home, and that they live on horseback? The money most folks spend in land these men spend for a good horse, and don't they need a good horse to stand mud and swim floods? And is it any sin for a horse to be kept fat that does so much work? The book says a merciful man is merciful to his beast, and that we mustn't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Step round that fence corner and take a peep, dear friends, at a horse hung on the stake. What's he like? A wooden frame with a dry hide stretched over it? What's he live on? Aye, that's the pint. Well, what's them buzzards after? Look at them sailing up there. Now, who owns that live carrion? The pious brother that's just preached to us just now. And I want to know if it wouldn't be better for him to give that dumb brute something to cover his bones before he talks against hundred-dollar horses and the like. The next charge is wearing good clothes. Friends, don't all folks, when they come to meeting, put on their best clothes? And wouldn't it be wrong if preachers came in old torn coats and dirty shirts? It wouldn't do nohow. Well, Sprightly and his preachers preach near about every day, and oughtn't they always to look decent? Take, then, a peep at the pious brother that makes this charge. His coat is out at the elbow, and has only three or four buttons left, and his arm, where he wipes his nose and mouth, is shiny as a looking-glass. His trousers are crawling up to show he's got no stockings on, and his face has got a crop of beard two weeks old and couldn't be cleaned by baby sprinkling. Yes, Look at them there matters, and say if Sprightly's preachers ain't more like the apostles in decency than the pious brother is. A word now about chicken fixins and doins, and I say it would be a charity to give the pious brother sitch a feed now and then, for he looks half-starved and savage as a meat-axe and I advise that old hen out thar clucking up her brood not to come this way just now, if she don't want all to disappear. But I say that Sprightly's preachers are so much beliked in the purchase that folks are always glad to see them and make it a pint of giving them the best out of love, and that's more than can be said for some folks here. The pious brother says he only wants our souls. 
then what makes him peddle about Thomsonian psychic? Why, don't ask he and Campbell make steam and number six as free as preaching? I read of a quack doctor once who used to give his advice free gratis for nothing to anyone what would buy a box of his pills. But as I see the pious brother is crawling round the fence to his anatomical horse and physical saddle-bags, I have nothing to say. And so, dear friends, I bid you all good-bye. Such was Reverend Elder Sprightly who preached to us on Sabbath morning at the camp. Hence, it is not remarkable that in common with many worthy persons he should think his talents properly employed in using up johnny calvin and his boys especially as no subject is better for popularity at a camp meeting he gave us accordingly first that affecting story of calvin and servetus in which the latter figured to-day like a christian confessor and martyr and the former as a diabolical persecutor many moving incidents being introduced not found in history and many ingenious inferences and suppositions tending to blacken the reformer's character judging from the frequency of the deep groans loud amens and noisy hallelujahs of the congregation during the narrative had calvin suddenly thrust in among us his hatchet face and goat's beard he would have been hissed and pelted nay possibly been lynched and soused in the branch while the excellent servetus would have been toted on our shoulders and feasted in the tents on fried ham cold chicken fixins and horse sorrel pies here is a specimen of mr s s mode of exciting triumphant exclamation amens groans etc against calvin and his followers dear sisters don't you love the tender little darling babes that hang on your parental bosoms amen yes i know you do amen amen yes i know i know it amen amen hallelujah now don't it make your parental hearts throb with anguish to think those dear infantile darlings might some day be out burning brush and fall into the flames and be burned to death deep groans yes it does it does but oh sisters oh mothers how can you think your babes mightn't get religion and die and be burned forever and ever oh forbid amen groans but oh ho only think only think oh would you ever i had them darling infantile sucklings born if you had a known they were to be burned in a brush heap no no groans shrieks what 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 if you had foreknown they must have gone to hell ho 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 amen and does anybody think he is such a tyrant as to make spotless innocent babies just to damn them no in a voice of thunder no sisters no no mothers no no sinners no he ain't such a tyrant let john calvin burn torture and roast but he never foreordained babies as calvin says to damnation damnation echoed by hundreds hallelujah tis a free salvation glory a free salvation here mr s buttered the rail of the pulpit 
with his fists and kicked the bottom with his feet many screamed some cried amen others groaned and hissed and more than a dozen females of two opposite colors arose and clapped their hands as if engaged in starching etc etc no tis a free a free a free salvation away with calvin tis for all ah yes shout it out clap on rejoice rejoice aho aho sinners 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 ho 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 etc etc here was maintained for some minutes the most edifying uproar of shouting bellowing crying clapping and stamping mingled with hysterical laughing termed out there holy laughing and even dancing and barking called also holy till at the partial subsidence of the bedlam the orator resumed his eloquence it is singular mr s overlooked an objection to the divine providence arising from his own illustration that children do sometimes perish by being burnt and drowned is undeniable yet is not their existence prevented and that in the very cause where the sisters were induced to say they would have prevented their existence but in justice to mr s we must say that he seemed to have anticipated the objection and to have furnished the reply for said he in part of his discourse god did not wish to foreknow some things but our friend's mode of avoiding a predestined death if such an absurdity be supposed deserves all praise for the facility and simplicity of the contrivance let us said he for argument's sake granted that i the reverend elder sprightly am foreordained to be drowned in the river at smith's ferry next thursday morning at twenty-two minutes after ten o'clock and suppose i know it and suppose i am a free moral voluntary accountable agent as calvinists say do you think i'm going to be drowned no i would stay at home all day and you'll never catch the reverend elder sprightly at smith's ferry nor near the river neither reader is it any wonder calvinism is on the decline logic it can stand but human nature thus excited in opposition it cannot stand hence throughout our vast assembly to-day this unpopular ism in spite of calvin and the epistle to the romans was put down if not by acclamation yet by exclamation by shouting, by roaring, by groaning and hissing, by clapping and stamping, by laughing and crying and whining, and thus the end of the sermon was gained and the preacher glorified. The introductory discourse in the afternoon was by the Reverend Remarkable Novus. This was a gentleman I had often the pleasure of entertaining at my house in Woodville and he was a christian in sentiment and feeling for though properly and decidedly a warm friend to his own sect he was charitably disposed towards myself and others that differed from him ecclesiastically his talents were moderate but his voice was transcendently excellent it was rich deep mellow liquid and sonorous and capable of any inflections it could preserve its melody in an unruffled flow 
at a pitch far beyond the highest point reached by the best cultivated voice his fancy naturally capricious was indulged without restraint yet not being a learned or well-read man he mistook words for ideas and hence employed without stint all the terms in his vocabulary for the commonest thoughts he believed too like most of his brotherhood that excitement and agitation were necessary to conversion and of the essence of religion and this with a proneness to delight in the music and witchery of his own wonderful voice made mr novus an eccentric preacher and induced him often to excel at camp meetings the very extravagances of his clerical brethren whom more than once he has ridiculed and condemned at my fireside the camp meeting was in fact too great a temptation for my friend's temperament and the very theatre for the full display of his magnificent voice and naturally this afternoon off he set at a tangent interrupting the current of his sermon by extemporaneous bursts of warning entreaty and exhortation here is something like his discourse yet done by me in a subdued tone as i repeat are most extravaganzas of the ecclesiastical and spiritual sort not only here but in all other parts of the work my text dear hearers said he on this auspicious and solemn and heaven-ordered occasion is that exhortation of the inspired apostle walk worthy of your vocation and what my dear brethren what do you imagine and conjecture our holy penman meant by walking think ye he meant a physical walking and a moving and a going backward and forward thus represented by mr n s proceeding or rather marching a la militaire several times from end to end of the staging no sirs it was not a literal walking and locomotion a moving and agitating of the natural legs and limbs no sirs no but it was a moral and spiritual a religious ay yes a philosophical and metaphorically figurative walking our holy apostle meant philosophic did i say yes philosophic did i say for religion the most philosophical thing in the universe i throughout the whole expansive infinitude of the divine empire tell me deluded infidels and mistaken believers tell me ain't philosophy what's according to the consistency of nature's regular laws and what's more ostentatious and homogeneous to man's sublimated moral nature than religion yes tell me yes yes i am for a philosophical religion and a philosophical religion is for me ay we are mutually made and formed for this beautiful reciprocality and yet some say we make too much noise even some of our respected woodville merchants meaning the author but what's worth making a noise about in the dark mundane of our terrestrial sphere if religion ain't people always and everywhere in all places make most noise about what they opine to be most precious see yon banner streaming with golden stars and the glorious stripes over the congregated troops on the fourth of july that ever memorable that never to be forgotten day which celebrates the grand annual anniversary of our nation's liberty and independence when our forefathers and ancestors burst asunder and tore forever off the iron chains of political thraldom and rose in plenitude 
ay in the magnificence of their grandeur and crushed their oppressors yes and hurled down dark despotism from the lofty pinnacle of its summit altitude where she was seated on her liberty-crushing throne and hurled her out of her iron chariot as her wheels thundered over the prostrate slaves of power amen yes hark we make a noise about that but what civil liberty to religious liberty and emancipated disenthralldom from the dark despotism of yonder terrific prince of darkness whose broad black Pinion-y wings spread wide o'er aerial concave like a dense cloud upon the murky sky. Amen. And ain't it, ye men of yards and measures, philosophical to make a noise about this? Amen. Yes. Yes. Yes and i ain't ashamed to rejoice and shout aloud i as long as the prophet was ordered to stamp with his foot i will stamp with my foot here he stamped till the platform trembled for its safety and to smite with his hand i will smite with my hand slapping alternate hands on alternate thighs yes and i will shout too and cry aloud and spare not glory for ever and here his voice rang out like the sweet clear tones of a bugle and therefore my dear sisters and brethren let us walk worthy of our vocation not with the natural legs of the physical corporation but in the apostolical way with the metaphysical and figurative legs of the mind here mr n caught someone smiling take care sinner take care curl not the scornful noise i'm willing to be a fool for religion's sake but turn not up the scornful noise do its ministers no harm sinner mark me in yon deep and tangled grove where tall aspiring trees wave green and lofty heads in the free air of balmy skies there sinner an hour ago when the sonorous horn called on our embattled hosts to go to private prayer an hour ago in yonder grove i knelt and prayed for you yes i prayed some poor soul might be given for my hire and he promised me one glory glory ah give him one laughing sinner take care i'll have you granted amen Ooh, hoo. look out i'm going to fire assuming the attitude of rifle shooting bang may he send that through your heart may it pierce clean home through joints and marrow and let all people say amen and here amen was said and not in the tame style of the american archbishop of canterbury's cathedral be assured but whether the spiritual bullet hit the chap aimed at i never learned if it did his groans were inaudible in the alarming thunder of that amen ay ay that's the way that's the way don't be ashamed of your vocation that's the way to walk and let your light shine now some wise folks despise light and call for miracles but when we can't have one kind of light let us be philosophical and take another for my part 
when i'm bogging about these dark woods far away in the silent somber shadows i rejoice in sunshine and would prefer it of choice rather than all other celestial and translucent luminaries but when the gentle fanning zephyrs of the shadowy night breathe soft among the trembling leaves and sprays of the darkening forests then i rejoice in moonshine and when the moonshine dims and pales away with the waning silvery queen of heaven in her azure zone i look up to the blue concave of the circular vault and rejoice in starlight no 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 any light give us any light rather than none ah do good yes yes we are the light of the world and so let us our light shine whether sunshine or moonshine or starlight and then the poor benighted sinner bogging about this terraceous but dark and mundane sphere will have a light like a pole star in the distant north to point and guide him to the sunlit climes of yonder world of bright and blazing bliss amen such is the part of the sermon his concluding prayer ended thus divine names omitted oh come down come come down down now to-night do wonders then come down in might come down in power let salvation roll come down come and let the earthquaking mighty noise of thy thundering chariot wheels be heard and felt and seen and experienced in the warning elements of our spiritualized hearts during the prayer many petitions and expressions were so rapturously and decidedly encored that our friend kindly repeated them and sometimes like public singers with handsome variations and many petitions by amateur zealots were put forth without any notice of the current prayer offered by mr n yet evidently having in view some elegancy of his sermon and not a few petitions i regret to say seem to misapprehend the drift and scope of the preacher one of this sort was the earnest ejaculations of an old and worthy brother who in a hollow sepulchral and rather growly voice bellowed out in a very beautiful part of the grand prayer take away moonshine but our first performance was to be at night and at the first toot of the tin horn we assembled in expectation of a good time for one all-day preparation had been making for the night and the actors seemed evidently in restraint as in mere rehearsal two the night better suits displays and scenes of any kind but three the african was to preach and rumor had said he was a most powerful big preacher that could stir up folks mighty quick and use up the old feller in less than no time after prefatory prayers and hymns and pithy exhortations by several brothers of the circassian breed our dusky divine the reverend mizraim ham commenced his sermon founded on the duel between david and goliath this discourse we shall condense into a few pages although the comedy or melodrama for it greatly mellowed and relaxed the muscles required for its entire action a full hour there was indeed a prologue but the rest was mainly dialogue in which mr ham wonderfully personated all the different speakers varying his tone manner attitude etc as varying characters and circumstances demanded 
we fear much of the spirit has evaporated in this condensation but that evil is unavoidable reverend mizraim ham's discourse brother and sister intention if you blazes well i want you for to understand this here battle most particular zack or maybe you martin comprehendern first place i going to endeavor to circumscribe first the cashin of this here battle second place the accommodations of the armies third place the folkses as was going to fight and didn't want to and some did and last and fourth place i'm going to show particular zack them as fit jewel and give victory and get killed tension if you please well i firstly circumscribed the occasion of this here battle brethren and sister you see them thar heathen philistines what warn't circumcised they wants to catch king so and his our folks for to make em slave and so they comes down to pick a quarrel and begins a totin off all their corn and wouldn't loam to make no hoes to home nor no homely and that are you see stickin king souls's gizzard and he's up and he says says he i'm not gwine to be used up and that are away by them uncircumcised heathen philistines to let them tote off our folks's corn and to chuck to their hogs and to take away our hoes so we can't home and so jonathan we'll drum up enlist soldiers and try em a battle and then king saul and his our folks they goes up and the heathen and theirn comes down and makes war and this is the cash in why they fit tension gin if you pleases i'm going to the next place secondly to show the accommodations of this hair battle which was so fashion like the Philistines, they had thar army up thar on the mountain, and King Saul, he had hissin' over thar like across a branch of moss like that a one thar, pointing. And it was chuck full of sling rock all along the bottom, and so they was both on em camped out, this a one on this our side, and t'other a one on t'other, and the lily branch tween em, and them's the accommodations. Tension once more, as Kay's next place, thirdly. I'm a going to give particular Zack count of some folkses what fit and some didn't want to, and lovely sinners, maybe you minds em as how King Saul and his soldiers was pepper hot for fight when he fust listen, but now lovely sinners, when he gets up to the Philistines, they cool off mighty quick, I tell you, case why. I tell you, why, cause that great big ugly old giant with great big eyes so fashion, Mr. Hem made giant's eyes here. He comes a ramping out a front of them our regiments like the old devil a going about like a half starved lion a seeking to devour poor lovely sinners and he come a-jumpin' and a-tearin' out so fashion actions to suit to get some of king Saul's soldiers to fight earned jewel and king Saul, lovely brethren and sister he gets skeered mighty quick and he says to jonathan a t'other big officer he says he i ain't going for to fight that great big fella and arter that day ups and says we ain't gwine to for to fit um another case he's all kivered with shearing and his head's up so high we must stand a horseback to reach him and the giant he was so big 
and then King Saul he quite down in the jaw, and he turn and ax if somebody wouldn't hunt up a soldier as would fight Jewel with him, and he give him his daughter the princess for a wife, and make him King's son-in-law, and then one old courtier, they call him Abner, he comes up and says to Saul so, Please, your majesty, sir, I can get a young fella to fight him, says he, and Abner tells how Davy had just right up in his courage and left him with a man that what tend the horses, and how he heard Davy a quarreling with his brothers and a wanting to fight the giant. Then King Saul he feel mighty glad, I tell you, sinners, and he make em bring him up, and King so he begins a talkin so, and Davy he answers so. What's your name, Lily fella? I was christened Davy. Who's your father? They call him Jesse. What you follow for a living? I tend my father's sheep. What you come order? Ain't you afeard of that our great old giant up there, Lily Davy? I come to see arter my other brothers and bring him in our carriage some cheese and mutton and some clean shirt and trouser and have t'other ones washed. And when I come, I hear old Goliath a hollering out for somebody to come to find Jewel with him, and all the soldiers round there, Lenny begins for to make tracks mighty quick. I tell you, please your Majesty, sir, for thar tents. But says I, what you run for? I'm not a going for to run away if King Saul wants somebody for to fight the giant. I'll fight him for him. No, King Saul, I can lick him. One day I get to sleep behind a rock, and out comes a lion and a bar, and begins a toting off to a lily lamb. But I hear them roaring and pawing about. I rubs my eyes and sees them going to the mountains, and I order and catch up and kill them both without no gun nor sword, and I bring back poor Lily Lamb. I can lick old Goliath. I tell you, please, your majesty, sir. Then King Saul, he was very glad, and pat him on the head and calls him Lily Davy, and wants to put on him his own armor made of brass and sheeterum and to take his sword. But Davy didn't like him, but said he trusts to his sling. And then he goes out to fight the old giant. And this hour brings me to the fourth and last wishing of our sermon. Attention once more again for last time, as I going to give most particularly Zachary's count of the jewel between Lily Davy and old Goliath the giant to show lovely sinner how the Lord's people without no carnal gun nor sword can fight old Belzebub and knock him over with the slingshot of prayer, as Lily Davy knocked over Goliath with hissing out of the branch. And to lustrut and jewel and make em spackus, I'll show exactly how they talked and jawed and fit it all out. And so old Goliath, when he sees Davy a come, he hollers out so, and Lily Davy, he says back so, What you come for, Lily Jew? What I come for? You'll find out mighty quick, I tell you. I come for defeat, Jewel. <laughs> think I'm going to feed pretty little baby. I want King Saul or Abner or a big soldier man. Hold your jaw. I'll make you laugh to the side, old grizzle gruzzer Rickley. I'm man enough for biggest giant Philistine. Go away, poor Lily boy. Go home, Lily baby, to your mother and get sugar plum. 
I no want kill putty little boy. Come on, don't be afeard. Don't go for to run away. I catch you and lick you. You little rascal. I cuss you by all our gods. I'll cut out your sassy tongue. I'll break your blackguard jaw. I'll rip you up and give em to the dogs and crows. Don't cuss so, old golly. I s'pose you wanted to fight Jewel, so come on with your old iron pot hat on. You get belly full mighty quick. You nasty little rascal, I'll come and kill you dead as chopped sausage. Here the preacher represented the advance of the parties, and gave a florid and wonderfully effective description of the closing act partly by words and partly by pantomime, exhibiting innumerable marches and countermarches to get to windward, and all the postures and gestures and defiances till at last he personated david by putting his hand into a bag for a stone and then taking his cotton handkerchief into a sling he whirled it with fury half a dozen times around his head and then let fly with much skill that Goliath, and at the same instant, hallowing with the frenzy of a madman. Hurrah for Lily Davy! At that cry, he, with his left hand, struck himself a violent slap on the forehead to represent the blow of the slingstone hitting the giant. And then, in person of Goliath, he dropped quasi dead upon the platform amid the deafening plaudits of the congregation all of whom, some spiritually, some sympathetically, and some carnally, took up the preacher's triumph shout. Hurrah for Lily Davy! How Reverend Mizraim Ham made his exit from the boards, I could not see. Perhaps he rolled or crawled off, but he did not suffer decapitation like old golly, since in ten minutes his woolly pate suddenly popped up among the other sacred heads that were visible over the front railing of the rostrum, as all kept moving to and fro in the wild tossings of religious frenzy. Scarcely had Mr. Ham fallen at his post when a venerable old warrior with matchless intrepidity stepped into the vacated spot and without a sign of fear carried on the contest against the arch-fiend whose great ally had been so recently overthrown i e goliath not mr ham yet excited as evidently was this veteran he still could not forego his usual introduction stating how old he was where he was born where he obtained religion how long he had been a preacher how many miles he had travelled in a year and when he buried his wife all of which edifying truths were received with the usual applauses of a devout and enlightened assembly but this introduction over did not occupy more than fifteen or twenty minutes he began his attack in fine style waxing louder and louder as he proceeded till he exceeded all the old gentlemen to holla i ever heard indeed old ladies either extract from his discourse yes sinners you'll have to fall to be knocked down some time or another like the great giant we've heard tell on when the lord's sarvents come and fight agin you oh sinner sinner oh i hope you may be knocked down to-night now this moment and afore you die and go to judgment yes a who yes so i say judgment for it's a painted once to die and then the judgment oh 
oh and what a time there'll be then you'll see all these here trees and them are stars and yonder silver moon of fire and all the elements a melting and running down with fervent hate I have elsewhere stated that the unlearned preachers out there are, by the vulgar, not the poor, but the vulgar, supposed to be more favored in preaching than man-made preachers, and that the sign of an unlearned preacher's inspiration being in full blast as his inhalations, which puts an ah to the end of sentences, members words and even exclamations till his breath is all gone and no more can be sucked in a fervent heat and trumpet the sounding and the dead arisin' and all on us a flyin' to be judged. Oh, ho, sinna, 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 ah! And what do I see away there, ah, down the Mississippi? Be ah, there's a man just done a killin' another, and up he goes with his bloody dagger. And what's that I see to the east, where proud folks live clothed in purple and fine linen? I see him round the table a drinkin' a decoration of Indian herb, and up they go with cups in their hands uh, and see you uh, see in yonder doggery some uh, dancing uh, and fiddling uh, and up they go uh, with cards uh, and fiddle etc etc here the tempest around drowned the voice of the old hero although from the frantic violence of his gestures the frightful distortion of his features and the pythonic foam of his mouth he was plainly blazing away at the enemy the uproar however so far subsided as to allow my hearing his closing exhortation which was this yes i say fall down fall down all of you on your knees shout cry aloud spare not stamp with the foot smite with the hand down down that's it down brethren down preachers down sisters pray away take it by storm fire away fire away not one at a time not two altogether ah a single shot the devil will dodge give it to him all at once fire a whole platoon at him and then such platoon firing as followed if satan stood that he can stand much more than the worthy folks thought he could and indeed the effect was wonderful more than forty thoughtless sinners that came for fun and twice as many backsliders were instantly knocked over and there all lay some with violent jerkings and writhings of body and some uttering the most piercing and dismaying shrieks and groans the fact is i was nearly knocked down myself you mr carlton yes indeed but not by the hail of spiritual shot falling so thick around me it was by a sudden rush towards my station where i stood mounted on a stump and this rush was occasioned by a wish to see a stout fellow lying on the straw in the pen a little to my left groaning and praying and yet kicking and pummeling away as if scuffling with a sturdy antagonist 
near him were several men and women at prayer and one or more whispering into his ear while on a small stump above stood a person superintending the contest and so as to ensure victory to the right party now the prostrate man who like a spirited tomcat seemed to fight best on his back was no other than our celebrated new purchase bully rowdy bill and this being reported through the congregation the rush had taken place by which i was so nearly overturned i contrived however to regain my stand shared indeed now with several others we hugging one another and standing on tiptoes and our necks elongated as possible and thus we managed to have a pretty fair view of matters about this time the superintendent in a very loud voice cried out let him alone brothers let him alone sisters keep on praying it's a hard fight the devil's got a tight grip yet he don't want to lose poor bill but he'll let go soon bill's getting the better on him fast pray away rowdy bill be it known was famous as a gouger and so expert was he in his antioptical vocation that in a few moments he usually bored out an antagonist's eye or made him cry pavaki indeed could he on the present occasion have laid hold of his unseen foe's head spiritually we mean he would figuratively of course soon have caused him to ease off or let go entirely his metaphorical grip so however thought one friend in the assembly bill's wife for bill was a man after her own heart and she often said that with fair play she could sentimentally allowed her bill could lick array a man in the varsal world and his weight in wild cats to boot hence the kind-hearted creature hearing that bill was actually fighting with the evil one had pressed in from the outskirts to see fair play she sentimentally allowed her bill could lick ary a man in the varsal world and his weight in wild cats to boot hence the kind-hearted creature hearing that bill was actually fighting with the evil one had passed in from the outskirts to see fair play but now hearing bill was in reality down and apparently undermost and above all the words of the superintendent declaring that the fiend had a tight grip of the poor fellow her excitement would no longer be controlled and collecting her vocal energies she screamed out her common exhortation to bill and which when heeded had heretofore secured him immediate victories gouge him billy gouge him billy gouge him this spirited exclamation was instantly shouted by bill's cronies and partisans mischievously maybe for we have no right to judge of men's motives in meetings but a few friends doubtless of the old fellow cried out in a very irreverent tone bite him devil bite him upon which the faithful wife in a tone of voice that beggar's description reiterated her gouge him etc in which she was again joined by her husband's allies and that to the alarm of his invisible foe for bill now rose to his knees and on uttering some mystic jargon symptomatic of conversion he was said to have got religion and then all his new friends and spiritual guides united in fresh prayers and shouts of thanksgiving it was now very late at night and joining a few other citizens of woodville we were soon in our saddles and buried in the darkness of the forest for a long time however the uproar of the spiritual elements at the camp continued at intervals to swell and diminish on the hearing 
and often came a yell that rose far above the united din of other screams and outcries nay at the distance of nearly two miles could be distinguished a remarkable and sonorous oh like the faintly heard explosion of a mighty elocutional class practicing under a master and yet my comrades who had heard this peculiar cry more than once all declared that this wonderful owing was performed by the separate voice of our townsman eolus letherlung esq conclusion a camp meeting of this sort is all things considered the very best contrivance for making the largest number of converts in the shortest possible time and also for enlarging most speedily the bounds of a church visible and militant end of the camp meeting reading by marty chris